Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Jesus, thank you uh, from where we are right now, from where we're standing, uh, from that moment of remembering uh, that we are here to praise your name, God. Would you speak to each one of us what it is that you want to speak to us this morning? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear just what it is that you're up to in each one of our lives? Jesus, we want to know you more. Uh, We want to be able to see and understand you a little bit more this morning. So would you help us to that end? We recognize that we need you even for that. Thank you uh, for your love for each one of us. Thank you that you have loved us first uh, so that we can love you and one another out of that. I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, So this morning I have one very important question before we jump into the text. How many of you stood with me and, and waited until the day after Thanksgiving to, Christ, to kick off the Christmas season. How many of you are like, yep, yep, okay, a few of you. The rest of you made life miserable for us for the three weeks in the run-up to Thanksgiving. Uh, it is so hard to, to wait. I'm, I stand by. Uh, Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving, and I love it. So this last weekend has been a lot of fun uh, kind of fully getting into the spirit of that. So it's great to be with you all uh, in the Advent season this morning. Uh, and, and in the spirit of Advent, uh, in the spirit of transparency with you all, uh, I wanted to share with you something this morning that I've really uh, not shared before. Uh, this is kind of a big deal in my life a few years ago. Uh, it actually happened right in this fellowship hall right over here. Uh, the, the student ministries team, I'm, I'm on staff with the um, family ministries and student ministries team, and we used to do a annual white elephant gift exchange for all the staff and uh, you know volunteers that were part of the team. Uh, it was lots of fun, but if you've ever been to uh, about 100 white elephant gift exchanges, you know they kind of all are the same after a little while, right? And so I thought to myself going in, I'm creative, I'm fun, how about we mix this up a little bit? What could I do that would just spice things up a little bit at this party, right? And so I I thought and I thought and I, I had the, you know, cost limit or something of how much uh, money you were supposed to spend on it. And I finally came up with an idea within the budget. And so uh, I walked into PetSmart um, and, and walked over to the section I've never walked to with the little feeder mice. And I said, hello, can I have a $4 feeder mouse? And they said, what do you need it for? And I obviously wasn't going to be honest. So I said, well, what do people um, usually use feeder mice for? And they said, well, for snakes. And I said, my friend has a snake. Not untrue but also not what the purpose of this mouse was going to be, okay? So I purchased this mouse uh, for a whole $4, just the right amount that I like to spend on a good practical joke. Uh, I get up to the counter. I, I want to be clear, I don't like mice, okay? I'm, I'm, I am uncomfortable for myself in this story, all right? But I was going to great lengths to provide entertainment for people. Uh, it, it, it went well. So I bought this little mouse. I got it to the counter. They made me sign, I will treat this animal humanely. I said humane is a subjective word. I signed on the dotted line. I purchased this mouse. I put it in a little Starbucks bag because that's just deceiving enough, right? That's the kind of gift you want to pick up at a white elephant party. And I put a little gift card in the top of the tissue because now you really want to pick that gift up, right? And so I had it and I brought it in and, uh, and I had not thought through a few things, one of which was dinner was first. 
Uh, so then I started panicking, like, this mouse is going to die in my keeping. This is not humane, even if you bend the word humane. So then I was sneaking off during dinner and, like, fanning the tissue to try and get it oxygen, you know, uh, trying to hide that I had carried this bag in the whole nine yards. Finally, dinner finishes and the, and the you know, exchange starts. And I recognize another thing I had not thought through was that uh, I wanted to be friends with some of the people in this room at the end of the night. And I started realizing there are some people here who, if they open it, we won't be friends at the end of the night. So I started being like, Jesus, if you love me, don't, they can't pick this bag up. And, you know, people get, they, they start to tease at these things. So they'll shake something. I was like, please don't shake that box. Like, okay. So, so they finally, they get to the point and, and finally uh, one of the guys picks this bag up and I was like, good, this is great. Things are going well. And he pulls the gift card out and kind of does this, you know, I got a gift card. Ha ha, steal it from me. I was like, please, that would be funny and he pulls the tissue out the top. I also hadn't thought through the fact that mice chew if left alone to themselves for an hour. So it had chewed out of the box and was running free willy around the bottom of the bag. So he pulls the tissue out and just kind of screams, oh, there's a mouse, right? I've never seen a room clear so quickly in my life. I have never seen people get on tables so fast. I have never seen people make something to stand on out of... Some people, I was like, oh, you're just levitating. I don't even know how you're standing there right now. I, people screamed at levels I had never heard them scream before. I went, mission accomplished. This was exactly what I wanted to happen. The entire room completely overturned over one tiny little $4 feeder mouse from PetSmart. You all can take this idea for free to your holiday parties if you feel so inclined. I also do feel it's important to state the mouse was a hot commodity, and so it actually got traded around a few times. It went to a good home, and by good home, I mean a dad whose kid had a snake. So honestly, my integrity is still intact with the whole thing, right? But as I was thinking about this morning... I kept thinking of that one particular moment in my memory in that hall where I saw a room clear like that because of a single little tiny distraction that really got in everybody's heads. The entire, I mean, people were opening gifts like on chairs for the rest of the night, you know, and like no one wanted the mouse anywhere near. And I was thinking how easy it is to be distracted, whether you're the one bringing the distraction or the one... Um, benefiting from, suffering from, you can pick your pick, from the distraction that someone else brings in. In this passage this morning, uh, we're looking at a story of someone who was distracted, someone who needed to let go of some things in order to accurately see the point of the story, the point of Jesus with them. We can often be like every person in that room when the mouse is let loose and the entire point of the party is missed. I felt like I made a new point to the party. I walked into work the next day, um, and they said, new rule, whoever was dumb enough to bring a mouse made up this, we have a new rule for this person now, no live animals brought to White Elephant Party. So that's actually a standing rule at PCC now, is you can't bring live animals. And I'm only now confessing this, so we'll see how that conversation goes for me um, moving forward. But we're so easily distracted by things that were never meant to be the point. And just like this little mouse, there are things that can derail us off of what was the point. The point of that party was not to, to try and catch a mouse and, and let it loose or, or find it a new home. The point of that party was to be together. But we all got so distracted by this one little element that was introduced that distracted 
all of us. So as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I want to invite you to consider what is it that God might be asking you to let go of? What is it that God might be pointing you towards and saying, no, 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 we've all been a little bit distracted. There's actually something else at play here. So that being said, would you grab your Bibles? If you've got your phone, uh, we're going to be in Mark 10. You can grab a Bible in front of you. Uh, if you have your phone with you, uh, they will also be up on the screen. We're going to be in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. Uh, if you are like me or most humans, your memory and retention is better when you write notes. Uh, so I would invite you this morning to, to follow along taking some notes uh, as well if you want to grab a pen and paper for that or use the notes app on your phone. We're in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want to give you our three points right at the top this morning. So if you're taking notes, feel free to write these down. Uh, the first point, all these, all these are lines lifted directly from this passage. The first point is this, no one is good but God. No one is good but God. Six words. The second point is this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the third point is this, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Looking at verse 18, we have our first point here this morning that no one is good but God. It's a seemingly odd response from Jesus in, in return to this young man, this rich young man's question. It, it's a little bit jarring. It doesn't quite seem the right response to the question. See, this young man says, good teacher, what am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? He's looking for an exchange, much as many of us do in so many areas of life. What do I need to do to earn X? What X do I need to earn Y? And Jesus' response is not what we would expect. He says, no one's good but God. Why, why do you call me good? But it makes more sense if we look at this in the context of the story because when we look at who this rich young man is and what he's asking of God, Jesus is actually, very early on, calling his bluff. 
He's essentially calling this kid on the carpet right off the bat. And he says, if you're going to call me good, are you going to call me God? This young man comes to him and says, good teacher. And Jesus says, oh, who, who are you talking to? If you're going to call me good, you better call me God. And later on in the story, he moves to, and if you're going to call me God, you better call me Lord. Are you willing to sell everything to follow me? It's an alarming question, and it ought to give us pause in the best kind of way because what Jesus is saying is, hey, think about who you're talking to. Are you just talking to a good teacher, or are you talking to a king? Are you talking to a God? Are you talking to someone who is Lord? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. How often do we find ourselves turning to Jesus in much the same way? Good teacher, what should I do about and we fill in the blank with our own lives. And sometimes, just like with this rich young ruler, Jesus stops us before we can even get started and says, who are you talking to? Who is it that you're coming to? Because if you want to call me a good teacher, you better call me God. And if you want to call me God, you better call me Lord. It's interesting, a couple of verses down, the, the young man addresses Jesus again, and he's dropped the good. He says, teacher. He heard loud and clear what it was Jesus was saying. Uh, who's, who's in charge? What Jesus is doing is he's suggesting that this young man doesn't need to sit at the center of his own orbit, that he is not the center of his own universe, and neither, maybe, should we be. But rather, Jesus is suggesting that the rightful center is his and his alone for a good God who is a Lord of our lives. Why do you call me good no one is good but God. We can, just like this young man, so quickly get caught up in what we're doing that we miss sometimes who it is we're talking to. And when we're talking to Jesus, things do change because when Jesus is the Lord of our lives and he actually has authority to speak to us like that, our lives look different than when that is not true. Another way to say this is that this young man wanted to do something to earn the kingdom and Jesus wanted him to let go of something to receive, to inherit the kingdom. To submit, to let go means that you know and you trust and you have faith in the one that you are letting go to, but it's an unsettling process. Now, it's worth acknowledging, letting go of things for the sake of following Jesus is a, is a jarring concept. It's a little bit difficult for us to get. Uh, I feel often sometimes that kids express my concerns better than I can. Uh, kids in our midweek 3-4 program were learning this over the season of Lent this Easter. Uh, so the season of Lent where as, as a church, often the Christian church will come together and say, hey, we're going to give up something for the sake of reminding ourselves we're dependent on Christ, for the sake of reminding ourselves to, to refocus on Jesus. So Monica Bedreau, our, our children's director, was teaching this concept in midweek 3-4 uh, back in the spring and saying, hey, what's something you could let go of for the sake of focusing on Jesus, right? And, and these kids, uh, man, from, from the mouths of children, right? This kid in the back raises her hand. She goes, well, I guess I could give up my puppy. And, and, and in response, and the kid next to her, not to be outdone, says, I'll give up my little brother. 
which depending on who you are, that, that's either a, a blessing or not, right? Like depending on who you are. And, and I feel often we think the same way about letting go of things. Like, oh, is God just asking me to let go of something random? Do I just need to pick something? What is, how does this actually work? And these kids' confusion can mirror our own. So it would serve us well to, to stop and remember God doesn't call us to submit just to submit or to let go just to let go. He is not a tyrant. What he is asking us to do when he asks us to leave things and follow him is to reprioritize and put things in their proper place. God is not one of many hobbies we have, right? God ought to be the center of who we are and what we do and how our lives are built. This is what Jesus is saying to this young man, is that no one is good but God it would serve us well to remember who it is that we're talking to and why it is that we are willing to let go of things to be closer to him. To inherit the kingdom, we must have a king to come to. And Jesus is saying, before you step into eternal life, before you enter the kingdom, who is king? This is a crazy brilliant response on Jesus' part, but not just because of the wit and nerve of the response. It's actually uh, remarkably brilliant because of what derives his interaction with this young man. We see in the next verse, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I wonder, for so many of us, when was the last time, if ever, we felt like Jesus looked at us and loved us? Or maybe when was the last time we felt like anybody looked at us and loved us? When was the last time we felt seen and known and loved? But what kind of love is this that, that Jesus looks at him and loves him and opens his mouth with a challenge? See, I kind of understand it like this. Some of you are, are parents, um, and you don't always give your kids everything they want. I know you don't give your kids everything you want because sometimes I hear about it the things that they want that you're not giving them. And they'll say, and they'll say man, they still won't let me have an Instagram or oh, they still won't let me drive my car after this hour or oh, they won't let me be in this one program I really want to be in or go out for this one thing I really want to go out for. And often I side with the parents and say, good, that's probably not the most important thing in your life right now. It may feel like it, but that's probably not. And your parents are probably saying no to that because there's something more important that's going on in your life right now. This is essentially what Jesus is doing. This is what he is saying to this rich young man is, hey, what you think is the most important thing about you right now, most important thing in your life, that's actually not the most important thing in your life right now. I know something that's more important. I know something that's bigger. There's a bigger story and narrative at play. And like a good parent, Jesus says, hey, what you think is the most important thing about you is not necessarily the most important thing about you right now. I've got a bigger picture in mind. This is an incredible love that looks at us and loves us and is willing to challenge us, us right where we are to step into a bigger and better story in which we are not the centers of our own universe. Uh, Oswald Chambers, an old English Christian writer and thinker, uh, says, says this about Jesus' gaze in this passage. And I quote, Has Jesus ever looked this way at you? Where you are soft and pliable with God is where the Lord has looked at you. If you are hard and vindictive, insistent on having your own way, 
and you're always certain the other person is more likely to be in the wrong than you are, then there are whole areas of your nature that have never been transformed by his gaze, end quote. So Jesus has now effectively, in a few words, turned this kid's entire question and approach on its head and invited him into an upside-down kingdom in which he's no longer the center of his own universe and he no longer gets to decide what is the most important thing about him. But Jesus says, I am good, I am God, I am the Lord. Would you like to sell everything and follow me? A hard truth, a simple truth, but a hard truth. And this brings us to our final point this morning uh, and, and my five favorite words in this passage. Nothing is impossible with God. I read this text and I thought, where have I heard this before? Where have I heard these words that nothing is impossible with God? I feel like I saw it somewhere else. And as I looked, I came across it right in the middle of the, the entrance of the Christmas story, right at the beginning of the Christmas story. See, in Luke 1, when the angel comes to Mary, this, this story of Advent that we step into every year, when the angel comes to Mary, uh, the angel says, Mary, you're going to be pregnant and you're going to give birth and this is going to be the Son of God. And she says, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? I don't understand. And the angel's response, among other things, is nothing is impossible with God. I wonder how those words echoed between Luke 1 and Mark 10. I wonder how many times Mary said them to herself or to her family around the home as she remembered the God of miracles who did crazy things and as she saw Jesus grow up in favor and stature with man and with God. I wonder how many times she reminded herself quietly under her breath, nothing's impossible with God. I wonder how many times Jesus heard that growing up. I wonder how certain he became of it as he grew and learned and stepped into what it was that he came to earth to do. And I wonder why he chose this moment to repeat those words. See, Jesus is using hyperbole when he says, uh, if, if you're rich, it's so hard to get in the kingdom of God. You might, you might as well be a camel going through the eye of a needle. He's saying this is ridiculous. It's so difficult. It's difficult because we get wrapped up. We get distracted. It's difficult because we get fixated on what we think is the most important thing about us, and we don't want to let go and step into something that we can't necessarily see or understand. It's difficult because we get caught up in the craziness of the Christmas season or in all the things that we want or in all of the trappings of just everyday life, and we miss, we lose sight of who it is that God is and of what it is that he is calling us into. We're so easily distracted, and so it's difficult to step into the kingdom of God. Might as well be a camel through the eye of the needle. But Jesus follows this up with an even more dramatic statement when he says, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. And he stands there not just with his words, but with his self saying, I am the impossible made possible. 
An angel said this about me years ago. His very presence declares that what was once impossible, that God could be with us, that God could make himself humble enough to be a baby and born in a manger and then grow and and live a perfect life and give himself for us. All of that impossibility is wrapped up in this statement where Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks at the rich young man. He says, it's very hard. It's so hard, it's impossible. But I am, the, I am the impossible made possible. What he's done before, he can do again, this time in each of our hearts. See, what is impossible is standing right in front of each of us this morning. What is impossible is perhaps being revealed to each of us in new ways this morning. Uh, I, went, I went camping over Thanksgiving. I, I took a couple of the days of the holiday and spent it in the rain. It was a great time. I understand if you think that's not a great time, but I thought it was a great time. Uh, and one of, one of the great moments from that was uh, on the first evening, I was, I was standing in kind of a clear space, and I looked up and I saw the stars. Um, I'm born and raised suburbs, so I'm used to about one and a half stars, one of the stars being a helicopter if you know what I'm talking about. Um, so people talk about constellations. I'm like, wow, I read about that in science books. That's about my full extent. So it is incredible to me if I see three or four stars. So I, I peeked at the sky thinking, oh, it would be really cool if I saw a few stars. And I don't know how many of you have ever had this moment in nature where you look up at a clear night sky far away from light pollution, uh, out where it's, where it's actually clear and you can see everything. And the longer you look, the more stars you see. And I was, I was blown away. I just couldn't stop staring. This happens to me every time I see a night sky. I just can't stop staring. Uh, and I keep seeing constellations I'll never be able to name and galaxies I'll, I'll never be able to identify. And I was blown away. And I had this thought where I went, I just couldn't see for the, the clouds and the haze and the light pollution. I just need to get away to where I can see. The stars have always been there. They're always there. When I look, they're still there. They're still shining. But my setting has made it very difficult for me to see. My setting has clouded. The things around me have clouded what's always been there. I just haven't had the eyes to see it. And I wonder if this morning God is, for some of us, sweeping that cloud, the cloud away a little bit in such a way that we can see, wow, Jesus is looking at me and he loves me. I don't know that I've ever thought about the fact that Jesus looks at me and loves me before this morning. Or maybe he's saying to us, nothing is impossible with God. Those circumstances in your life that feel impossible, it might as well be a camel through the eye of a needle. And yet God says, I've done it before. I can do it again. I can turn hearts back. Maybe this is not for you, but for someone you know this morning that you need to be encouraged to continue to pray and to continue to believe that nothing is impossible with God and the kingdom really is at hand. I want to uh, invite us into... uh, into a physical response this morning, not because there's any magic in it, but because, at least for me in my experience, when I physically respond to something that's going on in my head or my heart, it becomes more real. Uh, If I only think something in my head, I can sometimes walk away and 
forget about it and it wasn't that real, it was just a thought in my head. But when I physically respond, somehow it makes it more real. Uh, so I wanna invite you, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask a couple of questions just about where you are this morning. And if that's you, uh, if you identify with one of those questions, I wanna ask you to just slip your hand up um, just as a physical response to yourself to say, yeah, this is real, I resonate with this. Uh, so if you would uh, close your eyes uh, right now, we're just gonna take a second to hear what it is God might be saying to us. If you're in this room this morning and, and you're in a place where uh, you feel like it's been a while since you remembered Jesus looks at you and loves you, maybe you've been following Jesus a long time, uh, maybe, maybe you're good with him, but you just, man, you just forgot that he looks at you and he loves you. You just forgot that uh, those challenging things he's asking you to step into are because he sees uh, the most important thing about you differently than you see it those moments where you have felt uh, alone or where you felt unseen. Uh, maybe this morning Jesus is saying to you, I see you and I love you and I do want what is best for you. If you this morning are just saying, man, I was just distracted. I had a mouse running around, my fault or someone else's fault. There's just things in the holiday season that distract me. I just need to let go of those things. There's been, there's been clouds in the sky. I haven't seen the stars for what they are. I haven't seen God for what they are. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up right where you are just as a, as a physical representation to yourself? Hey, I've been distracted. God, I want to let go of these distractions. Jesus, we ask for every hand up in this building that you uh, clear the clouds for them, that you uh, sweep away the, the debris of distraction, the things that so easily settle in our hearts and our minds and the things that distract us from who you are and what you're doing. God, would we see you clearly like those stars in the sky that night, that we would see you past all the distractions and be willing to do the hard work of clearing distraction. And if you're here this morning and, and you say, I, I, I don't know that I've ever made this decision to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're saying, I had no idea that a, a good and powerful God wants to tell me how to live life, wants to help me see things I've never seen before, wants to look at me and love me and show me a better way. If you're here this morning and that's you and you say, I just, no one's ever invited me. No one, no one ever told me that I could have uh, this kind of love in my life. I want to know more about Jesus. I do want to follow him. If that's you this morning, would you put your hand up right where you are just as a reminder to yourself, uh, now this is real, I feel this. This is something new for me. This is a love that I didn't know about before, but I think I get it now. I think I see the stars. I didn't see them before, but I think I see it now. God, I ask for these hands that are up right now that you would uh, turn our hearts uh, toward one another to remember and believe what it is that you're doing inside of each of us, to recognize that we don't have what it takes to go alone, to have the courage to, unlike the rich young man, not walk away, but to turn to you, God. Thank you for uh, those hearts this morning that are turning to you. Jesus, we recognize that we need you desperately and we need you uh, not just because uh, we want a better life, but we need you because we need your goodness. We need you to be God in our lives. We need you to be the Lord in our lives. 
God, thank you for the reminder uh, that distractions are not where it's at. Distractions are not the point. Uh, The point is to be with you and to know you and to follow you and be willing to sell everything to get to that point. May we not be distracted, God. May we see you clearly. May you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And may you carry with us today the echoes of the line that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for Emmanuel, the God with us who came as a child to show us the way to go. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you and we lift up our voices together now uh, to sing these reminders to ourselves of who it is that you are and how it is that you look at us and you love us. We pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.